0: So way back uh, years ago when I was in college, uh, one night I was visiting some friends in the city in, in New Orleans and uh, driving back to Metairie, I ran out of gas. Uh, I remember this like it was last night because well, actually there's a lot of reasons. Number one, it had just dropped to freezing that night. It was we were on winter break and so it was cold. And then the next thing was uh, I looked around my car for, you know, I was going to have to go get some gas to get my car started. And, uh, and I looked around and the only thing I had available as a container was an empty milk jug. But at least I had that. Okay, so, uh, and, and young people, this is back before the days of cell phones. Okay, so if you don't know what that means, ask your parents. All right. But, uh, so here I was and, uh, and so I get out of the car and, uh, I want to give you a picture of hopelessness because as I was walking around, uh, through Metairie, and by the way, I was, I was close to the Huey P. Long Bridge. If that gives you an idea where I was. So not necessarily the, uh, best place you want to break down, but uh, I'm walking and, uh, you know, my hands were cold when they, they started getting numb. The wind was blowing. It was freezing. Uh, I did have a coat and I had this empty milk jug. And as I walked along, I think I walked about a mile, mile and a half. I actually passed up two different gas stations that were closed. And that made me angry. Okay. Now, I wasn't angry at the gas station. I was angry at myself. Because that's the same gas stations I had passed earlier in the day when they were open. But here I was just walking and just freezing. And then I see a light, literally, and it was a gas station that was open. And so I pick up the pace and I start jogging towards it. And uh, let me continue with the hopeless picture, okay? As I'm running towards it, the only person there is the guy working the, the booth. Um, and he's, he's you know, the attendant. And he's in there. And he's looking at me and I can see his head, like, like, you know, through the glass and he's looking at me and he's shaking his head no. And I knew what he was telling me is, you know, I, I can't, I can't put gas into a plastic milk jug. You know, it's, it's, it's not legal, right? And so, uh, but I was so cold and I was not going to continue. I didn't know of any other gas stations anywhere nearby. And so, like I said, I was freezing and I looked at the guy. He finally, by the way, he finally did give me gas and I think it's because of three reasons. One, I had the Lord. Two, uh, I had cash. And three, I had big puppy eyes. So uh, all right. So today's message is, um, uh, we've been going through a series on uh, minor prophets. And today, uh, uh, it's my turn to talk about Micah. And our message today is going to be called God of Hope. Because in good times or bad times, uh, the almighty God that we worship, uh, he really is a God of hope. So our three points today are going to be guilty, restored, and called. And so if you have a Bible, you can be turned into the book of Micah. If you don't know where it is, well, good luck. But if, but if you do need a little help, let me give you just a little help. It's right before the book of Nahum. <laughs> I'm awful. Yeah, uh, you can look at your table of contents or you can just look it up later. I encourage everybody to read the whole book sometime this week because I, I can't go through the entire book. But God will speak to you if you'll just take the time to read his word. So, again, our, our title for today is God of Hope. And our three points are Guilty restored and called. So let's pray together and let's see what God has for us. Dear Lord, I thank you for today. And I thank you, Lord, um, when times are uncertain that you're still almighty God and you really are a God of hope. Lord, a long time ago, you gave a message to this, to this prophet named Micah and Lord, uh, the message meant something way back then when you originally gave it to him. Uh, and it means something to us today, Lord. So I pray you would speak to every heart, uh, whether we're here in the room or whether we're listening online. Lord, I pray you give us understanding. Um, help us help us know how we can know the God of hope and how we can know him better. We thank you, Lord, in Christ's name. Amen. OK, so like I said, our first point today uh, is guilty. And so like all the other minor prophets and, you know, there's 12 books through this series uh, of, of, uh, of minor prophets. But like all of them. Uh, the story begins with bad news and, you know, God has uh, bad news for the nation of Israel. So let's just start in chapter one, verse one. It says this, the word of the Lord that came to Micah of Moresheth in the days of Jotham, Ahaz and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, which he saw concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. All right. So let's break that down a little bit. All right. In verse one, it mentions this. It says the word of the Lord. And just a thought for you you all. The prophets spoke only. As God directed him them. Uh they didn't just make this stuff up. And uh and if you think about that, the word of God is not to be taken lightly. Uh what he gives us are words of life and death, and they're of eternal significance. And so uh it amazes me. Most of you I think know that, that I a chaplain for um for hospice, and so I see a lot of folks that are close to the end of life, and I find that some of them are very interested and talking about spiritual things. But it also uh, amazes me. Just how often I'll bump into somebody. Who is kind of flippant about their life. And flippant about eternity. And about uh, his or her soul. So these are important things. Now uh, the next thing that, that you see in that same verse. It mentions three different kings. It gives you an idea Of the, of the time frame when Micah was a prophet. And so like I said, it mentions three kings, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. I want to talk about two of them. I want to talk about Ahaz and Hezekiah. Ahaz was actually one of the worst kings that Israel ever had. And Hezekiah was one of the best. So, uh, just a little bit about Ahaz. Uh, he reigned for 16 years. During his reign, he took one of his sons and sacrificed him to an idol. But let me be more specific. Uh it was a public sacrifice. And you'll see a phrase sometimes in the Bible where it says, He made his son pass through the fire. It means he burned him uh alive as an offering to this idol. And so during the, the uh the time when Micah was a prophet, uh this was the king, Ahaz the king, and one of the things he did that was memorable was he burned his son alive, offering him to an idol. I just want you to tuck that thought away because it's going to come up later in today's message. Now, on the flip side, another king, while Micah was a prophet, was Hezekiah. And like I said, he was one of the best kings Israel ever had. Uh, He reigned for 29 years. He removed what was called the high places. Uh, He broke the images. That was places where, where people would go and they would worship false gods and false idols. And Hezekiah said, man, we're getting rid of all that. But during his reign, um, uh, in fact, during the sixth year of his reign, uh, Assyria came down and they took the northern ten tribes of Israel. Remember, there was 12 tribes. Well, they took the northern ten tribes captive and just scattered them throughout the world and, and uh, basically sold them into slavery, which left just the southern kingdom and two tribes where uh, Micah was and where King Hezekiah was. So uh, I tell you about these two kings to give you this idea that the nation's leaders at the time, uh, I mean, there was a mix. So there were good times and there were disheartening times. Okay. Does that sound familiar? Um, I don't need to, to remind you the times we're living in and I don't need to remind you of the bad times. I think we get we get plenty of, of, of bad news, don't we? But I did want to give you just a little good news, a little insight that I pick up. Uh, just being a, a student ministry pastor, um, what I see with young people these days is this, is that even though they're not in large numbers uh, turning towards Christ, what I do see is that young people today, uh, especially, I think part of it is just the way the world is and the way the country is, that if they do turn towards Christ, they are very committed and they're very serious about their faith. So I just wanted to give you uh, a little good news because I know we, we hear pl- plenty of bad news every day. OK, um, so Micah uh, now begins the message that God has given him t- to preach. And we see that beginning in verse three of chapter one. And he says this for behold, the Lord is coming out of his place and will come down and tread upon the high places of the earth. So right off the bat, Micah begins with bad news. Uh, what's of most importance is the Lord is displeased and he's offended by his nation, his people, uh, the nation of Israel. We continue in verse five. It says this, all this is for the transgression of Jacob and for the sins of the house of Israel. And we skip to verse seven. All her carved images shall be beaten to pieces. All her wages shall be burned with fire. All her idols, I will lay waste. So uh, Israel, the nation of Israel, they were supposed to be God's primary instrument through which he would reach the world. Right. The idea was that God, from the time he began the nation of Israel, uh, he, he ruled over them and had a relationship with the nation. And uh, but their responsibility was to go out into into the world and as they were faithful to God, he would bless them and the world would see there's something different about that nation. And that would be the Jews opportunity to tell them, well, it's because we serve the true and living almighty God. But in fact, what happened was uh, the nation of Israel uh, would keep going through this cycle where they would rebel against God. And so here he was now pronouncing that judgment was coming upon them. Now, let me ask you a question. Have you ever thought about who the primary instrument is of God today to let other people know about him? I'm going to answer it for you. Okay, the primary instrument is the church, the body of Christ. And let me make it more specific. The church, the body of Christ, is made of individuals who know and love the Lord Jesus and who love almighty God. I hear a lot of negative statements these days about the church and people will say, and I'm sure you've heard it, what people will say, the church today is failing. And, you know, I got to say, I disagree with that statement. What I believe is this, y'all, is that the churches that are faithful, that truly love God and are truly striving to teach God's word and to submit to the truth of what God has told us, uh, those churches see that lives Are being changed as a result. My question for each individual believer. uh, uh, There's an inward question. And an outward question. The inward question. That I'd like for you to ask yourself is this. What does your time alone. Look like with God. When no one else is watching. What is your time alone. What is your relationship. With God. What does that look like. When it's just you and him. And nobody else is watching. And then I have an outward question, too. And the outward question is this. Once you get out of the house and people are watching, OK, does your walk with God, does your lifestyle match what you claim to believe? Because for Israel, it didn't verbally. They said they love God, but in actuality, uh, they were in co- consistent rebellion. The first two chapters of the book of Micah, God reflects on Israel's sin and their rebellion. But then, uh, by chapter 3, he begins to talk about the leaders of Israel. So let's look at that. Micah chapter 3, verse 1, it says, And I said, Here, you heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, is it not for you to know justice? In fact, like I tell you, the kings, it was kind of up and down, depending on what kind of king they had. Uh, and then the other leaders that we're following, uh, it just reminds me you all. And I don't do this enough. I don't do this near enough to pray for our nation's leaders, regardless of who those leaders are, to pray for them, that God would direct them. But also, y'all, uh, to pray for the church's pastors and elders. Y'all, um, right, we can't make these uh, decisions we make in a vacuum. And just that, you know, the pastors and elders of this church uh, we need your prayer that God would guide us and direct us. We continue in Micah three, verse six. Therefore, it shall be night to you without vision and darkness to you without divination. The sun shall go down on the prophets and the day shall be black over them. The seers shall be disgraced and the diviners put to shame. They shall all cover their lips for there is no answer from God. One of the consequences Israel was going to receive as we read, read those verses that we just read is that they were going to have silence from God. They were going to experience that and that was going to be as a judgment to them because they weren't listening to God. Again, I want to bring it back to, to uh, the leaders of our nation right here in America, y'all, uh, as a whole. Uh, I don't know many people who say they put their faith in government. OK, so as a whole, um, you know, we see that there's right. There's just a lot of corruption and rumors of corruption. Um, uh, it feels like like the nation's leaders and I'm talking about not just at a national level, but, you know, at a state level and at a smaller level. It's like they're operating in a fog. How important it is for us to be praying for them Um Let me bring it home. What about you? Have you ever experienced God's silence? Or are you experiencing that even now? And I ask that because I find there's two reasons people can be experienced, you know, feel like like God is not speaking to them or prompting them in a direction. Um, So how to discover which one it is? Well, the first question is this is, did you do something? Okay, and here's what I mean by that. When was the last time you felt strongly prompted by God to do something? My question is, uh, did you obey whatever it was he told you to do or not to do? Um, you may want to start there. You may want to go back and correct something. If God brings that to mind, that there's something he he prompted you to do or to quit doing. And basically you didn't listen because that can bring on silence from God. Where if you're not listening anyway right why should he continue uh, to speak to you but the other reason is this is if if uh if you feel like you're clear on that then it could be this y'all sometimes god doesn't give you an answer just to just to test your faith and to strengthen your faith and the idea is is will you continue to seek him and will you continue to follow him even even Though you may not feel uh, directly led, like you feel like maybe he's not speaking to you, will you still remain faithful to him? Uh, I was talking to Ernie Shutey the other day um, about about pilots and about the tests they go through, and one of the tests they go through is is uh, to prepare them if they're ever in a cloud or literally in a fog, to trust their instruments, because if they trust their feelings, right, you've heard of uh, vertigo. And terrible things can happen when you're in a plane. But he said it is actually one of the tests, one of the uh, as they prepare pilots. And so the idea, y'all, is if you're experiencing silence from God to figure out, number one, is it something you did or omitted to do? Or number two, is he just testing your faith to see if you'll trust him as you go through that fog? For Israel, uh, the silence came because they refused to listen to him. And so, uh um, I'm sorry, I skipped a part. So let's go on. Micah 3, hold on, verse 12. My bad. Uh, it says this, Therefore, because of you, Zion shall be plowed as a field. Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins, and the mountain of the house a wooded height. So Israel had learned judgment. That's where I was going. Israel, because of their rebellion against God, uh, had earned judgment from him. And he told them specifically Uh, They were going to be laid waste, basically Um, for you and I. There's good news. If you've trusted Christ, well, he bore our judgment for us. He died on the cross and took our sins upon him. He experienced the wrath of God. And then on the third day, he rose again from the dead. So if Christ lives in you, you don't have to worry about that judgment day. But uh, he still wants us. To live for him. Our motivation to live for him. Should be out of a. Out of a grateful heart. But know this. Uh, God promises. Just like. There was a judgment day. Coming for Israel. When they got laid waste. By their enemies. Um, that there is a judgment day. Coming in the future. Now. Since I was a kid. Uh, I've been real. Fascinated by World War II. And. Uh, specifically today. We're going to talk about D-Day. Which. Many of you remember. Was June 6th. 1944. Now, here's the thing, what we're talking about for you younger people, in case you don't know exactly what I'm talking about. This is when uh, when the Allied forces landed uh, in, in Normandy. And so here's the thing about it, y'all. Everybody knew something was coming. Okay, both sides knew something was coming. And I say that because of this, because the Russians on the eastern side of uh, of, of the of the germans you know as they were pushing uh towards the east the russians had created a front on that side and joseph stalin had asked early on that the allied forces would attack on the other side and if you look at the geography uh you know it had to be their landing had to be somewhere along that coast and that's what prompted hitler to begin building his atlantic wall it was a massive series of fortifications and bases stretching all the way up along the coast of France, through Belgium, the Netherlands, Denmark, and all the way up to Norway. Now, the Allied forces had General Dwight D. Eisenhower at the helm, so he was ahead of the uh, American, the British, and the Canadian forces that totaled some 156,000 troops. And while this was all brewing, both sides knew something was coming. Something was coming. They just didn't know the exact day. Uh, Some sources say this about Hitler is that on June 6th, when the landing actually was taking place, that he had ordered his subordinates to not disturb him and to let him sleep. And so he actually didn't wake up until 11 a.m. or about noon. The accounts vary and that he actually had been asleep some five or six hours when the D-Day beach landings had begun. During those hours, the German tank divisions were somewhat stalled. Here's the point. By the time he gave orders for his forces to retaliate, it was far too late. God had given a warning to Israel, and they refused to listen. And so that judgment day was coming. And they continued to stiffen their necks. Now, that brings us to our second point today. Second point is restored. Is that even though God had predicted the coming judgment on Israel. God proceeds to give them hope. Remember today's message. The God of hope. So we pick up in Micah chapter 4 verse 1. And God says this. It shall come to pass in the latter days. That the mountain of the house of the Lord. Shall be established as the highest of the mountains. Verse 2. And many nations shall come and say. Come let us go up. To the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Verse seven, and the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion from this time forth and forevermore. I want to go back and just hit on some of those phrases, y'all. Verse one says the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established. Verse two, come, let us go up. To the mountain of the Lord. That he may teach us his ways. Doesn't that sound good? Verse 7. The Lord will reign over them. In Mount Zion. All this y'all. It's a picture. Of the coming heavenly kingdom on earth. As sure as there would be a judgment day. That would come. Just as sure as that. God promised. That there will be a day. When his heavenly kingdom. Will come. Remember how Jesus used to pray. And he taught them how to pray thy kingdom come Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Incidentally, by the way, this is why uh, when Jesus came, uh, people were confused because they were expecting a conquering king, especially according to these verses we just read. And in truth, he will eventually come as a conquering king. But the first time uh, he didn't come that way. Uh, the main point is people were expecting a king. Do you remember the Christmas story? Let's read in Matthew chapter two. Verse one, now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod, the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? They were expecting a king. It's the reason Herod sought to kill him. He didn't want to be dethroned. It's the reason or one of the reasons people grew angry when Jesus disappointed them. They wanted a king that was going to rid them of their enemies, you know, of the Romans at the time. They didn't realize that the first time Jesus came, he came to be a suffering servant. Next time he comes, he will come as conquering king. Now, God gave other promises about this king who would come. So we see this in Micah chapter five, verse two, where he actually predicts the birthplace of this king. It says, but you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, who were too little to be among the clans of Judah, From you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient of days. In verse 2, he mentions there, "You, From you shall come forth for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel. The actual birthplace of the one who would come had to be in Bethlehem. That rules out a lot of other people. And by the way, in case you don't know this, God gave over 300 predictions through different prophets and different people, all written in the Old Testament hundreds of years before Jesus came so that when he came on the scene, people would know this has got to be him. This has got to be the one that God promised. Uh, Also, in verse two, it mentions this about about this one who would come. It says his coming forth is from of old from ancient of days so that even at birth, he would be very, very, very old. What it's talking about is that he wouldn't just be a man. He would actually be almighty God in the form of a man. We continue in chapter five, verse four, and he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord, his God, and they shall dwell secure for now. He shall be great. To the ends of the earth. All this is good news y'all. All this is from the same God who had pronounced judgment. Now he's pronouncing these things. To give them hope. And to give us hope as well. God's love and hope. It didn't just extend to the nation of Israel. It extended to the entire world. Do you remember when the angels came? Christmas story again. Okay. So we're fast forwarding a bit when the angels appeared to the shepherds. Remember what they told them? This is out of Luke chapter two, verse 10. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And by the time uh, after Jesus' resurrection, when he was about to ascend into heaven, uh, remember when he told the disciples, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. So God's hope, God's message of hope was for Israel. But beyond that, it was offered to the entire world. Um, years ago, uh, when I was working for Campus Life, um, you'll hear me mention this name a lot. Shane O'Hara. Some of you know him. Uh, and He lives right there in Mandeville. Shane and I worked about 20 years together together. Um, Three different times, like I I could only stand them about six or seven years at a time, okay. But, uh, this is back when I was first starting out in youth ministry, just learning the ropes. And we were doing this burger bash, and it was for East Jefferson High School, uh, again over there in Metairie. And back then in those days, you'd get about 200 kids, okay. Nowadays, uh, kids just have too much going on, too many other options. But back then, there just weren't a lot of options uh, during the week. And so on a Monday night, if you threw a burger bash and offered free burgers or even charged a dollar, man, kids would come out of the woodwork. And so there were 200 kids here. And uh, let me explain the idea. When we would do a burger bash, it was just an introduction uh, to these teenagers for what the club was going to be like the rest of the school year. And so we didn't do anything uh, overtly spiritual at this meeting. OK, because. Uh, of course, any any teenager was welcome. But uh, we were hoping that kids who maybe had not been to church for a long time or who had never been or especially kids who had had a bad experience at church and refused to go. We were hoping kids like that would come and feel comfortable and come a second time and a fifth time and a tenth time and little by little hear the message of Christ. But at that first meeting, we didn't do anything again overtly spiritual uh what we did was we would have the, the free food then we would go inside for the meeting we would play a bunch of games and the message at the end of that meeting was to let kids know if you come back the meeting is going to be kind of like how it was tonight but we're going to pick a different topic and talk about it from a christian perspective that way kids didn't feel like we snuck jesus up on them you know and kind of the old bait and switch thing okay now at this one burger bash i gotta give you one more detail Shane's old buddy from high school was in town now when Shane was in high school He did not know the lord at all and he was wild and his friend uh, His name was sam and sam was was no different than the than the his last day of high school I mean sam was just was just wild He was he was he was a lot of fun and he was mostly harmless, you know But shane got this idea. He says, you know i'm gonna invite sam to come cook the burgers at this burger bash I mean what harm could that cause right so uh the burger bash comes around there's 200 kids and there's sam and you got to remember i mean the guy he's basically by that point he was like a, a guy in his mid-30s but still acting like he was you know uh, in, in high school and all and anyway but there he was uh, in the back he was uh he was cooking the burgers and i believe he had a cigar in his hand too <laughs> you know oh well so anyway so here we were the kids were eating it all and then it was time to go inside And so Shane goes into the into the building and kids are following him. And then Sam decides at that point that he's going to help Shane out. He's going to help get these kids in there. And so he starts yelling. All right, all you sinners, come on and get inside. (laughs) We thought, oh, gosh, that's the last thing we wanted to happen. Okay, but in truth, do you know what? God's invitation, it really is extended to the entire world, which brings us to our third point today, y'all. Our third point today is called. Most likely. If God ever speaks to you, it's going to be like a still small voice, more like what I said earlier, kind of like a prompting in your heart that he's either telling you to do something or maybe to not do something, maybe to help somebody. Uh, Micah, chapter six, verse one. Hear what the Lord says. Arise. Arise. Plead your case before the mountains and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, you mountains, the indictment of the Lord and you enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has an indictment against his people and he will contend with Israel. It's like God is saying, listen, listen, listen to what the Lord is trying to tell you. Jesus, speaking of the nation of Israel years later, talked about, in a sense, they were hard of hearing to God uh, we find that in Matthew chapter 13, verse 15, where Jesus said this. For this people's heart has grown dull and with their ears they can barely hear and their eyes they have closed. There's an application here, you uh when you know God has spoken to you and you resist him, it's going to affect your heart. It's going to affect your hearing and your sight. Um, we go on Matthew chapter 6, verse 6. And this is kind of a picture of of human nature, of how we try to make deals with God. And so beginning in verse 6, it says, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousands rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body, for the sin of my soul. Do you hear that list, y'all? Uh, they're asking things like, like, what can I do to earn God's favor? That's the question. And the list that uh, is offered or, or, or um, suggested is, is how about a bunch of offerings? How about thousands of rams, 10,000 rivers of oil or even my firstborn? And, you know, the more you get to know God, you, the more you find he doesn't want any of that, y'all. Now, this list is kind of how the false gods are. Those idols, they required an endless list of things from people. Uh, in fact, it, it was like an endless, impossible list. It was a terrible list. And remember, I mentioned earlier today about the bad king, about King Ahaz. As he tried to please one of those false idols, remember what he did? He actually sacrificed his son in a fire. And it was public, y'all, where the whole nation could see. Him worship this false God. But the true God uh, tells us what he wants. In verse 8, he has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? Right there at the beginning of verse 8, there's that phrase, he has told you. God has already spoken, y'all. Uh, you honestly don't have to wait for a lightning bolt. You know, a lot of what God wants to tell you, he's already said it and it's already been written. And he's just waiting for you to take the time to read it, to meditate on it and to obey his calling. But then he says also in verse eight, he says, uh, what is he required to do justice, to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? Now, honestly, all none of us can do this in our own power. Right. That's why God offers his Holy Spirit. The moment we trust Christ to save us, the moment we place our faith in the one who died for our sins and rose from the dead. God supplies his Holy Spirit so that we can live a life that is holy and pleasing to him. When he mentions this about this justice and kindness and mercy, he's actually describing himself. If you think about it, he's saying he's inviting us to a relationship. He's saying, come, no my justice, but on the other hand, come know my mercy and kindness. And then he puts it simply, walk humbly with me. That's what God wants you all. He wants a relationship with each one of us, and it's extended to the whole world. Micah 7 verse 18 asks this question, Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? I love that question. Who is a God like you? I hope you know the answer. There is no one like the true and living God. We serve a great God and he really is a God of hope. So let me leave you you with just a few thoughts uh, of application. Number one, do you know the God of hope? If the answer is no, the first step would be to come to know him through faith, through the Savior. Through Jesus Christ, through putting your faith in him and having that conversation with God. Second question, are you experiencing God's silence? And we already talked about that, about figuring out, is it something that you've omitted that maybe he's told you already? Or does he just right now have you in a fog to test your faith? And my third question. Will you, in fact, walk humbly with your God? Let me give you just a minute to uh, close your eyes, bow your head, and just meditate on these questions and see if God speaks to you. And then I'm going to pray for us. Dear Lord, I thank you, God, that you really are almighty God. And you really are the God of hope. Lord, you know uh, the condition each one of us was in when we showed up today. And, Lord, I thank you that you actually can meet each one of us exactly where we are. Lord, remind us every day how much you love us. And help us walk with you, God. In Christ's name, amen.